Well, once again, I want to welcome you to the Vineyard this August Sunday. And as I said right at the very beginning, it's always a relief when I see some people in the congregation because when you founded the church, as Phyllis and I did, you know, August used to be an absolute nightmare because it, you know, it was just a two or three families and people were away and it just didn't feel like anything was happening, but it's great to have you here, be you a visitor or a regular member, that's, that's wonderful to, to see you. I'm going to pray now and then I'm just going to get straight into my talk. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you because your word is life, your word gives life, your word is a two-edged sword, Lord God, it, gets to the, it cuts to the quick, it gets right to the heart of the matter. And Lord, I pray for your help. I pray, Lord God, that you would give me grace as I, I speak this morning and that you would give us ears to hear. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm very fervent in my prayers this morning because, as Rick rightly said, I've just recently, at the beginning of the week, came back from Chicago, but I'm just horribly jet-lagged this time. Uh, because of family commitments and other things, we travel to the States fairly often, and sometimes it's a breeze, and other times you just feel as if someone's hit you over the head by a piece of two before, and that's how I am at the moment. It feels like three in the morning, and uh, you know, I don't know whether I'm dreaming that I'm preaching or whether I'm really preaching. So, uh, am I dreaming? Oh, shucks, it's for real, I am preaching. <laughs> okay, so I've just been to Chicago. I thought I might just sit down at the beginning of this talk, because um, I don't know whether that'll work. Can you see me over there? Okay, so uh, I've just come back from Chicago. As Rick rightly says, uh, we run a conference here called the Global Leadership Summit. It's the 9th and 10th of October this month, and we've been running that for a number of years now. And it's, it comes out of a church called Willow Creek, uh, which for many people, uh, you've never heard of it, and many people have heard of it. It's a large church in North America. But we've been partnering with them for some, some years now, and it really began when Fliss and I dropped in on, on that place at the end of a sabbatical a few years ago, and we just had an extraordinary time there. The Lord really met us in a, in a significant way, and we came back excited, particularly about their leadership training. And as someone who went through several years of theological training in the beginning of my ministry, I'm, I am appalled to say that not one day that I can recall was devoted to leadership training. Uh, can you believe that? You know, I, I spent a lot of time in the Word of God, and of course there are leadership issues and principles there, but, uh, but, but actually in terms of how you lead anything... Uh, there wasn't a day that I can recall that we had people come in from industry, people with expertise in this area or, or who'd studied this subject and taught us. And no wonder the church is struggling. Well, what Willow Creek do exceptionally well is train leaders. And uh, so Fliss and I went along, we were blown away and we've been partnering ever since. And this year, however, even though I am now on the board of Willow Creek in the UK, even though I get to help choose the, the, the talks that go out across the nation in October and, and uh, November, I said to, the, to our board here, our board of directors, I'm not going to go this year, it's very expensive. You know, we're, we're all sort of feeling a bit strapped for cash. We need to sort of be careful. I don't want to blow all that money on a, on a trip to uh, the States in, in, in August, the most expensive possible month to go. And uh, time and again, people came uh, to me and said, are you going to go, Chris? And I said, no, I'm actually not going to go. And I repeated this mantra. Actually, interestingly enough, and I see Tony 
Tony, one of our directors, staring at me. The, the board weren't all that convinced. I think they kind of really preferred that I did go because it, it does me good. But I, I thought, no, no, even all this money kind of thing. Anyway, uh, to cut a, a rather long and tedious story short, it came to the point where Graham Paris, dear Graham Paris, who is the national director of Willow Creek, emailed me one final time and said, Chris, are you going to go to Chicago this year? Now, I'd only seen him about four days previously and told him I wasn't going. And this was beginning to irritate me. So I, I, I did an email, you know, very kind of brusque, you know, watch my lips. Oh, well, you can't see my lips, but read the words, you know. And I was going to hit send and I couldn't do it. And uh, it was one of those weird things. I couldn't hit the send button. And I thought, I've been so set on not going. <clears throat> But maybe, maybe I'm missing something. So I thought to myself, well, I'll sleep on it. I can send this as easily tomorrow morning. And so I went home and I came back and I, I said to Fliss, I said, look, I, I think maybe we need to go to Willow Creek. And Fliss said very emphatically, well, I'm not going. <laughs> it's wonderful to have the support of a good woman, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, she was sure. She was really sure. And I could see that, which made me think, well, yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm not going to go then. And then I got into my office that following morning. I went for my prayer walk as usual. I went to hit the send button. I couldn't do it. And I just, something in me just told me that I needed to go. And uh, so rather, you know, all these people I'd emphatically told I wasn't going to go. Suddenly I'm saying, oh, actually, I'm going after all. (laughs) And they all look at me like I'm some kind of dork, which of course I am. And... uh, so anyway, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I found myself sitting on a flight AA-47 bound for Chicago. I've done it many times. And uh, I- I'm sitting there thinking about this whole thing. And it suddenly really occurred to me that, uh, yes, the Lord wanted me to go. And that uh, I should treat this almost like a retreat, a very busy retreat, I have to say. I had meetings every day. But it was going to be a time when the Lord just spoke to me. And uh, that kind of leads into what I'm going to be sharing this morning. But before I do that, I will just add my shoulder to what Rick has said. The Global Leadership Summit comes up on October the 9th and 10th. It's a Friday and a Saturday. We do need a lot of volunteers, as always. Many of you have served at the Global Leadership Summit. But I have to say, if you're a volunteer, you're here to work, and you, you'll get some sessions or some parts of sessions, but not all the sessions. But for this year, more than any other year, I really want to say to you, church, you know, this would be a good conference to come to. Now, don't be put off by the fact that it's a leadership one. That may not put you off at all, because you may be a leadership, a leader in, in industry, or, you know, in the church, fine. But you may not be quite ready to adopt that tag. Well, don't let that put you off. Because I, 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 in, I have a, a sense that this could be one of the best leadership summits we've ever run. Obviously, I've seen all the material. And obviously the Lord's spoken to me at various points, so I'm a little biased. But in the past, I've always pressured and pressed and advocated that our leaders go to this. But this year I want to say, church, if you can possibly block out those two days, the 9th and 10th, if you can afford the 39 pounds and have been able to negotiate the price down a bit, you will, 
you will do yourself good. It will do you good. The Lord will do you good. You know, I think it'll be good for us. So make a note of that. Put it in your diary. Start praying about it. Sell a couple of things on eBay so you get the 39 quid and come along. And, and if you can pay for the conference, all, all well and good, because then you won't have to be running around serving donuts or whatever. But make, make an effort. So I'm on the plane. Thank you, Matt. This little talk is going to be entitled One Small Step. And I'm on the plane, and as many of you know, this year we've been celebrating or, or we've been reflecting upon the moon mission, you know, man's first trip to the moon, Apollo 11. And uh, I, I'm looking at the entertainment on my video screen on the plane, and there's a whole host of films, and many of them I've already seen. And then I went into the documentary section, and there was a thing about the first moonshot. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll watch that. And I thought I'd seen pretty well all of these because that kind of thing interests me. But this one I hadn't. It had a very good cast. I, I can't believe I missed it. And uh, it was the story of the first moonshot, the kind of all the challenges they had to get over. And finally, we get to that great scene where the eagle comes, as it was called, to land on the moon. And they seem to hover interminably, trying to pick a spot where they were going to land and finally they sat down and I must say it was a very poignant moment it struck me again how amazing this was I was just a you know I was a young fellow lad then and I remember the excitement of the day and the, the sense of optimism and this extraordinary thing that we've been able to break the bounds of this earth and land on the moon and then the, the shot went to the two astronauts, Buzz Aldrin and Neil, Neil Armstrong, in the little moon capsule. Very small, very spindly thing, very fragile little thing. Some of the skin of this thing, was, it was gold leaf, and it was, it was incredibly thin. It was so fragile. They land on the moon, and as this uh, particular story portrayed the characters... Um, Buzz Aldrin was a bit of a prickly character, incredibly gifted, a genius, probably the, most br it br the brightest guy on the whole moonshot team, which is saying something, but difficult, a bit prickly. But anyway, he, they land and the thing goes like that. And there's this kind of hush and then they say the, the eagle has landed and they all went crazy at Cape Canaveral, Cape Kennedy, whatever it was called. But in that capsule, there's a moment of real stillness. And then Buzz Aldrin leans out and gets this pouch. They were each allowed to take a little, just a few personal items. And to my amazement, he gets out a little silver goblet. And he gets out a little silver, kind of like a pillbox, and a little silver flask, and he pours wine into the goblet. And without a word, and, and with Neil Armstrong just watching him, spellbound, he takes communion. And as he does so, he just says under his, under his breath, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine.
neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And God was in that plane, AA 47. God smacked me around the face and ministered to my heart. I was going to a conference expecting to meet Jesus. Jesus met me on the plane and there's tears rolling down my cheek and I'm because the the word of the Lord came alive to me dabbing my eyes there's the bustle going around you know the stewardess is running up and down checking that people's seat but we hadn't even taken off remain in me as I remain in you And so for the whole of that conference, that was the lens with which I viewed it. I went through times of thanksgiving for his goodness to me, times of repentance, reflecting upon how I'm living my life and how some of my stuff is just not submitted to him and how I'm so busy doing good things that God doesn't get a look in. You know that one? But for the whole of that time away... Everything, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, was seen through that grid of remaining in me. Remaining in the Lord. And I started to do a study on what does that mean and what does bear fruit mean and what that's about. This passage seems very familiar to me. It may be familiar to you. It may not be familiar to you. But, but there was something about it. I wanted to savor it because I knew that this was why the Lord was bringing me away to challenge me, uh, even rebuke me a little, discipline me, but to encourage me too. Because the whole purpose of the the remaining thing is is that we bear fruit. So now I'm going to do a little bit of a study on it as we go through this. Fairly, I I, I don't expect there to be anything really new for anyone, but I just want to go through this and and, and just share my thoughts with you. So let's read the passage. This, This passage that I've read... I'm going to put it in a bigger context. It's Jesus' last words to his followers, really, his closest followers. It comes towards the end of John's memoirs or gospel. It's, it's an extraordinary passage. And just so that you understand it all the better, Jesus begins by saying, I am the vine. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if we have a, a national symbol. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's the bulldog. I don't know. In America, they have the eagle, the, the French have the cockerel, the Welsh have the leek, and uh, I pity them. <laughs> but, but Jesus was actually making reference to a, a very powerful symbol that would have been very familiar to all Israelites because the, the symbol of Israel was the vine, drawn out of Psalm 80 where the psalmist says, out of Israel I brought a vine and planted it, and it flourished. And so this, this kind of symbolism of, of the vine was very poignant and very familiar. But Jesus begins by saying, let's have the, ver- the, the, the passage up there. He says, he says to his disciples, he says, I am the true vine. Now that's not just flowery picture language. That is poignant. What Jesus is saying is, I am the true Israel. 
And, and what he's going to go on to say is, you need to be connected with the true Israel. You need to be connected with me. Now, I, I say that so that you understand this. It's not just him having a flowery day. Okay. So let's just read this passage and then we'll unpack it a little bit. <clears throat> I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and you will be give, it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. This word remain actually occurs in this passage nine times. Not, I haven't given you the whole thing. Nine times. Now, you, you've heard me say, and I've said it a few times. I'm playing with this microphone still. Um, I've said it a few times recently that when Jesus repeats something, particularly a triple, then it really is a big deal. Well, here we have a triple-triple. Jesus has really got eye contact. Picture it. He's, he's got his, small, his 12 disciples. He's gathered them around. These are his last orders, his standing orders. Upon them will depend the future success or failure of the church. Because Jesus knows, they don't know it yet, but Jesus is going to be crucified the following day and then it's going to be down to them. So he gets eye contact and he says, remain in me. Remain in me. What does he really mean by that? He says, stay connected. Whoops. Stay connected. Remain in me. Stay connected. We'll look at that in a little bit more detail in just a moment. But let's, let's take the next big theme. Bear fruit. You see, the purpose is of remaining in him and being connected with him is that we bear fruit. And again, there's this triple happening in this teaching. And it's also progressive. There's bear fruit, be more fruitful, and bear much fruit. So not only is there a triple, but it's, it's growing. And isn't that the way with, with fruit anyway? You know, I've told you many a time, I'm not a gardener. Uh, but those of you who have been to my house, we've got a nice little patch of grass and some stuff in it, and it looks nice, and I'm proud of it, because I don't know what I'm doing, but actually it's looking good. But something desperate has happened to my apple tree this year. I pruned my apple tree. I thought I was doing the right thing. I got lots of advice. I even read books about it. I've clipped it. And whereas every apple tree I see around is absolutely laden with apples, as if to mock me, <laughs> my apple tree is absolutely devoid of any apples. 
Up until this year, this little apple tree, which I bought for $5.99 from Wilkinson's, has been producing ever more fruit. Last year, we had so much that I carefully picked all the fruit. I wrapped each one in newspaper. My mother used to do this when I was a kid with our apple tree back home. I put them in a dark place, and on Christmas Day, we got them out, and we ate summer fruits that had grown in my garden. My kids ate it. My grandkids ate it and spat it out, but that's what grandkids do, you know. <laughs> it was lovely. It was so special. But this year, no. I'm going to have to sneak out to Aldi's and get some from there. You see, healthy things grow. And they go on producing fruit, and they produce more fruit. And that's the deal. And this... This is a process that not only we see in nature, but we see it in the spiritual life. You know, I I, I honestly think one of the saddest things that I come across as a pastor is meeting a Christian who's been a Christian for years, and yet it's hard to see that there's any fruit in their life at all. And sometimes, you know, that's because we resist the pruning process. Now, if it's at my hands... Well, then there's a good reason to resist the pruning process. But we forget that Jesus describes God as the gardener. God the Father knows what he's doing. And when the Father prunes us, there's always a purpose. It's not just to cut back because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like us. He prunes us in order to grow more fruit. Now, one area that I have been successful in is in pruning our rose bush. Anyone who's been to my house will know that we have this wonderful rose bush that runs down the fence, and it produces these gorgeous, I describe them as blousy, I don't know why, but gorgeous, great big blousy blooms. And and I'm doing that right. I'm a little OCD about it, but... I'm, I, you know, I, I go out there and I cut out the suckers because if you don't cut out the suckers what you get are these they grow incredibly fast these great big shoots that come out from the root of the plant they, they, they are extraordinarily fast and vigorous in their growth they usually have seven leaves on them they will produce no roses whatsoever they just sap the strength from the plant So I prune those out so that all that nutrition, all that goodness, all that vigor goes into the the bush itself. And I've got it right. I'm not killing this one off. This one is flourishing. So much so that my neighbors remark about it. Visitors to our house remark about it. I pick off the, the leaves that have got a little disease on them. I feed it regularly. And as a result of that pruning process, and sometimes, you know, I'll walk down the garden with a great big lump of what seems like healthy rose bush, and yet I know that it's absolutely, it's a drain. It's not going to produce any fruit whatsoever. There are going to be no roses on this. And sometimes you meet Christians like that. And they're a drain. There's nothing outward looking. There's nothing upward looking. There's a lot of inward looking. But that's not healthy either. And, and, and I want to say before you, God, if that's, if that's the way I was going, I thank you for speaking to me on the plane. 
Because I want to get this right. I don't want to be like that. I, I want to be healthy. And I want to submit myself to the discipline, the pruning of the Lord. And if you have any sense whatsoever, you will submit yourself to that too. That sense of it's, it's, it's not harsh, but sometimes it's hard. The Lord seems to say something to you about a situation or a relationship or, or, or offering yourself for some service that you don't really want to do. But you know it's what Jesus wants. And if you resist that, you are resisting that, that pruning process. But if you, if, you, if you submit to it, well, then wonderful things begin to happen. Fruit and more fruit begin to develop in your, your life. I'm going to now look at this whole business of you know, what is fruit. And I'll begin with the inward one because having knocked it somewhat, it, it is actually a very important part of, of what we're about. The inward fruit is, is well expressed in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. I'm not going to read it, but it, it talks about you know, God's spirit at work in us and us working with God. And what happens with that is that we get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all working out in, my, in our lives. I've clearly got that one well down already. Some of you think I'm, I'm joking, okay. Some of you were going smiling and grinning and others were thinking, oh my goodness, you know, he's, uh, he's off on one. Um, but uh, these, these are all things, these are God working character in us. And uh, to be honest with you, I've, I've had a lot of God working character stuff in me over the years. And that's really what spiritual fruit looks like. It, it's, it's, it's sending roots down. I mean, this, this, quite frankly, every time I've heard this passage preached on, this is as far as the, the, the teachers get. They talk about the inward journey, the, the going deeper into God. They talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The inner disciplines, if you like, prayer, Bible study, these things that are a struggle for all of us. You know, worship, thanksgiving, maintaining a thankful heart. You know, all of these things that are challenging and difficult, these things will help us grow in Christ and, and will help us to, to sort of, you know, grow and produce this, this fruit that comes out of God's work of character building within us. But there are two other areas. There's the upward journey. You know, growing towards the light. Now, in this little garden that I've got, uh, I bought, uh, went to home base or wherever it was, and I bought four or five trays of petunias. And uh, I like petunias because they're big, they're blousy, that word again. They're colorful, and, and even I have difficulty killing them, which is quite an achievement. But I planted them in three different areas. I planted a few in, uh, in some bowls on my patio, I planted some on a, against a fence and some uh, on another a wall. And it's been very interesting because the, the one against the fence doesn't get a lot of sunlight. And there are flowers, but they're, they're straggly, they're weakly, they're thin. You know, I deadhead them, I, I feed them, I do all these things, I, I try and look after them. But, you know, they're really struggling. Then the ones against the wall, they get a bit of sunshine in the morning 
Uh, and, you know, they're doing okay. They're still a little straggly, to be honest, but they're, they're doing okay. But they are noticeably healthier than the ones against the fence. A lot more blooms. The blooms are much larger, too. And, and, you know, they're a joy. But the ones I love are the ones on my patio. Get a lot of sun. These things are monstrous. They're an extravagance. They are fabulous. And, you know, I have to watch the cats because they're so luxuriant the cats want to sleep in them. But, um, you know, they, they are fabulous. And it's all because they're all getting the same attention. I've given them the same soil because I've planted them all in miracle Grow and stuff like that. But the big difference is the light. It's the same thing with Christians. We need to grow towards the light. We need to turn ourselves towards the light. We need to keep coming back to God in both our personal life and our corporate life and surrendering ourselves, giving it up, if you like, in worship, adoration, and thanksgiving. That's the upward thing. Worship, adoration, and thanksgiving. Worship, adoration, and thanksgiving. We, we need that. We, we, we begin to wither. We become straggly and weird if, we are, if we're not doing that. And really I want to say it's not just about staying connected with God and turning towards him. It's staying connected with one another. You know? One of the things I love doing, I've told you this before, is I love visiting other churches whenever I can. Last Sunday I drove miles and miles and miles and I visited three churches over in 12 hours. Went through long services. Some considerable distance. I planned it beforehand. I got a sat nav so I didn't get lost. And I went to these particular churches because they had all different distinctives I wanted to learn about. And not time to go into that now. But I'll, I'll tell you this spiritual health, life, and vitality. You know, it was, it was interesting. The preaching was excellent on all three occasions. The worship was pretty good too. But what I noticed, there, there was huge variance in, was that sense of community. Now, two of the churches were about the same size, perhaps a little larger than this one. And one of them was a lot, lot larger, very big church. The staggering thing is that as a visitor, nobody knowing who I was, I hadn't rung ahead, not that they would have known who I was anyway, but as a visitor walking into this place, the place where I was made to feel welcome, the place where people engaged with me and responded to me was the big church. I mean, this church has thousands and thousands of people. I can only think the reason they've got big is that the people have learned how to move outside of their comfort zone and say hi to someone. Because at one of these churches, and this church wasn't Willow Creek. This church I'm about to reference has a very famous teaching pastor. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to go there. He has written books, books that I enjoy. I walked up and down the main sort of concourse there, and I could have been the invisible man. I couldn't find any information. I couldn't find anyone to give me any information. At the door, as we do, we, we, they had some people giving out news sheets. I actually had to interrupt one of the people 
because they were having a conversation with their mates. They were on giving out the new sheet duty and welcoming, but some friends had come in and they pulled aside and they were talking to them. And I thought, I'm not going to just walk through. I'm so I, I interrupted. I said, I'm really sorry to interrupt, but could I have a new sheet? And I said, oh, yes, sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, it's not funny because I have some confidence. I'm a pastor. I knew to interrupt, but what about... What about the 20 people that walked through that didn't have the confidence to interrupt? Maybe you were, maybe that was you this morning. Maybe you walked into this place and you weren't acknowledged. You weren't, no, I mean, nobody, nobody wants anyone to sort of swoop on you and cast out demons, but, but it'd, be nice, it'd be nice to have someone say hi, wouldn't it? You know? We're all part of the welcoming committee. That's part of our calling. That's part of who we are here. And I just want to say to you guys, my understanding is you do a great job. That's the feedback we get. Keep it up. Because it makes a difference. And it says something about us as a community that we are connected, that we do have significant relationships with one another here. We need to keep feeding that. Because it's not just you know, connecting with God, it's staying connected with one another. There's really no room in the kingdom of God for lone rangers. These people who go around and are never part or committed to anything in particular, who sort of taste church like some sort of spiritual smorgasbord. You know, it, it's about connecting, working on relationships. It's easier for those of you who have that extrovert gene. I understand it's hard for you guys who have the introvert gene. It's, it's, it's not better or worse, it's just one of those things. But we all of us need to push through that thing so that we can force our way into the light, that's the way God intended it to be, and stand in that place where we can flourish and bear fruit. So inward, spiritual disciplines, things that you do when nobody's watching. Upward, worship, adoration, thanksgiving, not just privately when you're on a prayer walk in the park, as I do, but corporately when we're together, connected upward and, and, and side to side. And then finally, how do we bear fruit? And if I've, got, if I've got anything fresh or new to say about this passage, it's in this area. It is the outward thing, the outward dynamic. You see, when you think about fruit... Traditionally, when this has been taught on, as I've said, we look at the Galatians 5.22 passage, the fruit of the Spirit. But that's all an inner thing. And I have to say this to you guys. Again, having traveled some, having spoken to overseas pastors, having met two-thirds world pastors and, and spent and hung out and lived with them, this whole emphasis on the inner journey is a very Western one. It really is. It's a Western preoccupation and so it's not enough for me as a teacher of God's word thank God by his grace just to say to you look at Galatians 5.22 let's do seven weeks on the gifts of the spirit the, the, the fruit of the spirit it is not enough because it's not about an inward journey you know when fruit doesn't matter what the plant is when fruit is produced it's there for a reason Somebody want to earn a brownie point and tell me what the reason is that a plant or tree produces fruit? Regrowth. Reproduction, someone said. It's all about reproduction. Jesus was saying to his disciples, remain in me and I will remain in you and then you will reproduce. 
That was of critical importance to Jesus. Otherwise, he was just going to be another, you know, another sort of teacher, preacher that came, that went. Israel saw thousands, not hundreds, not tens, thousands of them. But the difference of the ministry of the kingdom of God in Jesus that we preach here, that we share in here with other denominations, is that we believe it's reproducible. That there are principles in this book, there are principles in knowing Jesus that are transferable. You can give it away. You can help foster it in other people. Every single one of us, not just the paid clergy, but every single one of us has a responsibility to allow God to to reproduce in us and through us. That may mean, for example, maybe you've not been a Christian very long, but that may mean that that somebody who you kind of know and relate to, you may be able to say to them, well, look, I don't know what what I can do, but we we could pray, couldn't we? How about we meet, you know, once a week and and just pray for each other and pray for the church or something? Yes, you got it. Hole in one. We can all pray. We can all do that. You know, some of you may be a little bit further down the track. You may be able to say to somebody who's struggling, okay, well, look, why don't I, I, it's interesting you're asking me that question. So-and-so was asking me that question. Why don't we get together just for 45 minutes once a week and do a little Bible study together? You see, the beautiful thing about this, this reproduction of the kingdom of God, is that actually we all are on the learning curve and we all can help Jesus in his kingdom work by sharing the little we do know with those who know a little less. And who knows, they may teach you something. So you, may, you, you can get together and you can, you, know, you can begin to share God's word together. You can pray together. Of course, we have life groups in this church. And, and they're a great way, some, a place to meet midweek and, and, and to meet other people. And the, the beauty of life groups, I think, is that that basically speaking, you know, they're, they're, they are a, a worship, Bible teaching, and, and, and a fellowship group. But so much more than that can happen. You know, you can learn how to minister and pray. You can, you can actually, actually find yourself liking people that you wouldn't normally gravitate towards. That's always a tremendous joy. I've told you this story before, but when Fliss and I had our business years and years ago, we, we, we had good success and we were quite well off. And, and actually, because we, we weren't Christians at that time, that meant that we hung out with, we looked and gravitated towards people who were like us. And in North Yorkshire at that time, you could, you could number on two hands those people who were young in their early 20s and, and really quite wealthy and well off and sell, you know, making business. So actually, it became very incestuous. Our friends were aggressive. You know, my best friend, I still have great fondness for him, but he was not a very nice person. He was a ruthless businessman. But we hung out with them because we felt safe. We gravitated towards people like us. One of the glories of church and life groups is that you actually rub shoulders with people that you wouldn't normally hang out with, and you actually grow to love them, not just like them but love them. They begin to matter to you. So this outward thing expresses itself in fellowship and genuine concern. Genuine concern. 
Of course, there's, there's acts of service. I mean, I think this thing that Rick... You know, Rick did, a, as it happens, a little thing. Ventureland Buddies. I think you all got this in your news sheet. Just, just wave that at me if you've got it. Impacting Children's for Jesus involves serving twice a month, 30-minute prep time, investing in an amazing group of kids. You know, the, the truth of the matter is that, as I've often said to you, I would love to be able to get in contact with my old history teacher, Mr. Roddy, who was the first person ever to share the gospel of Jesus with me. Because at the time, he probably thought I was a, a lot of hard work. But look at me now. <laughs> All right, don't look at me now. But I, in my pride and arrogance, imagined that he would be pleased to find me a church pastor after all these years. You see, one of the things about you know, doing that, sort of leading these little small groups with the kids twice a month, the thing I love about it is, first of all, there's a sacrificial element. Everything good, everything of quality in the Christian life is going to cost you something. Do you understand that? Do you know that? Or are you looking for freebies? Well, there's some freebies. You get a free coffee and a, with an umbrella in it, Rick usually says, if, you, if, you, if you're a visitor. But actually, everything of value costs us. I love that small group buddy thing. It means you've got to serve twice a month. I happen to know that you can kind of negotiate which one that is, but, but there is a sacrificial element there. This is healthy. 30-minute prep time, investing in an amazing group of kids. You may have another Billy Graham in your little small group. You may have a Jackie Pullinger, a Mother Teresa, an Archbishop of Canterbury. They're just kind of restless, wriggly kids at the moment. But don't ever think you're just a babysitter. Who knows who you might be investing in? Who knows who you might be reproducing through? Who knows what fruit may come of your sacrifice twice a month? I love that. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Claire. Great illustration. Now, this, this is a church that is hot on serving because it's good for us. But there you are. I'm really praying that those positions get filled. So fruit is about reproduction. It's not just about growing in inner graces. It's about reproduction. And that's what was on Jesus' Jesus's mind. He wasn't saying, I do hope you're going to be nice to one another when I'm gone. I do hope you're a bit more patient, Peter. <laughs> You know what I mean? Giggle, giggle. No! He was talking about, I do hope there's a church in 2,000 years' time. I do hope that fruit bearing the seeds of life, seeds of reproduction, is grown in you. That's what was on Jesus' mind. So, this morning then, as I wind up, I have to wind up now because while I was away, somebody... uh, said that there's been some research at Harvard which says that if you go on longer than 30 minutes, 50% of your people's minds go into sort of neutral. 25% uh, get really engaged but not necessarily in the thing that you're talking about. <laughs> and 25% are involved in, engaged in sexual fantasies. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to stop now. 
on the very brink. I don't see anybody blush. One or two people are blushing. Oh my goodness. I'm not going to look. Let's have the worship team back up. And as they come up, remain. Stay connected with one another, with Jesus. Bear fruit. I'm not knocking it. Grow in patience. The inward journey, the upward journey, adoration, worship and thanksgiving, and the outward thing. Go and see Claire and sign up as a buddy. Invest in some of these little Billy Grahams, Jackie Pullingers. Who knows who you're going to be training and teaching. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you because your word is alive and it has the power to convict us and challenge us and encourage us. And Lord, I pray that a little bit of all of that will be our portion this morning. And I pray for Claire, Lord. I pray for the work that they do in Ventureland. It's more than a babysitting circle. I thank you for what they do in Vineyard Village. I thank you for all these guys, many of them here, who are involved in that team. I pray now, I ask for eight more small group leaders. Father, you say in your word, if you know, the harvest is plentiful and we need to ask you to send workers into the harvest. Lord, I pray for eight more workers to go into that small group ministry, that buddy ministry for the children. And Jesus said, and we said, Amen.